Um, hope you guys are ready to go. We're going to tackle some stuff tonight. If you've got a Bible, open it up to uh, Acts chapter 17. And um, what is this real quick? The third week of school? Is it the third week of school? Second? Fifth? Where have I been? Oh, yeah. I'm not in high school anymore. Hey, real quick. <clears throat> I need you guys to listen to something real quick, hey, as we get into this. Uh, as you leave this place tonight, when we uh, release just a few minutes um, and, and let you guys go off to your small groups, and by the way, just kind of a side note, if you're not involved in a small group, you're missing, you're missing the best part of the point, so you need tonight needs to be your first night whenever we transition out of this place. But um, as you guys leave, you're going to get one of these cards. I encourage you to keep it. Please don't drop these on the ground um, or anything. We want you guys to have these. There's two very important announcements on this that you guys are going to need. Um, one of them is uh, what we call uh, green beans and cream corn. And basically it's our way to uh, make a difference in our community come, uh, come October 3rd, Saturday, October 3rd. We call it Compassion and Action. For us in the high school ministry, it's green beans and cream corn. We're going to be doing a uh, scavenger hunt. It's got the times on here. We're going to meet, go around the houses, asking for like green beans, cream corn, and all their other canned goods. And those, all of those things are going to be going. We're going to bring it back to the church. And all of those things are going to be going to the Lawrenceville Co-op that helps to feed the hungry here in our community. And so we want you guys to be a part of that. We want to put, um, not just say that we love Jesus, those of us who do, but we want to like live like it, right? Because that's the most important thing. So it's one way that you guys can do that. Another thing on here, we got Engage. That announcement's on here. Good. Glad you guys like it. Um, let me just say a few words about it real quick. Listen, um, Engage is starting this Sunday night. And it'll be starting right upstairs from this room, right up there, from 6 o'clock to 7.30. And y'all listen, y'all listen, I need to explain what this is, okay? Um, some of you don't know, many of you don't know what Engage is, so, so just understand, it's a deeper Bible study. We get people all the time in this ministry who say, man, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper, and I want to study the Word, I want to study the Bible, I want to learn things that maybe we don't learn in here on a Wednesday night for whatever reason. And this is our environment to do that. And so um, I, I teach it along with my wife, Heather, and we're going to uh, be starting it this Sunday night, like I said, and we're going to be going through the book of Acts during uh, Engage this year. And so that announcement's on here, and every single one of you are invited to at least check it out, at least check it out this Sunday, show up, see if it's something that you might be interested in, and if you want to bail, you can bail. So um, well, we encourage you to come out and do that. Right on? Sweetness, let me pray and let's, uh, let's tackle this. Jesus, we need you tonight. We need to hear from you tonight. So I pray that you would captivate our attention. I pray that there would be no distractions in this room. But I pray instead that we would worship you with our attention tonight. And so, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to listen? Would you help us to be engaged? Would you help us to be overwhelmed by who you are and what you've done for us? And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, right on. Uh, listen up. Um, <clears throat> this past weekend... Uh, this past weekend, I, I was in Tennessee, and I was speaking at a retreat, and here's what happened. Uh, the very first night I was there, and th you got to understand, first of all, this is going to help you with this story. It was, we were in the middle of nowhere. I mean, like there was nothing. The nearest town was 10 miles away. Um, and so here I am at this retreat center, and while I'm there, um, I was preaching the first night, and... Um, as happens a lot of times after I preach, like my throat is kind of hurting because I, I don't know if you've noticed, but every now and then when I preach, I, I tend to raise my voice sometimes, um, so I've been told. And 
what happens, and that's okay, because that's just, that's just how God made me. Like, every preacher is different. Those of you who have heard different preachers, every preacher is different. Some preachers talk very calmly. Some preachers talk very slowly. Some preachers even sit down and talk to the people. I am loud, and I talk fast, and I get more excited than a NASCAR fan at a corndog festival, okay? So that's just kind of how I am, who I am, how God made me, and it's okay. But as a result, what happens is um, my throat kind of hurts after I'm preaching. And so uh, I decide, okay, you know what, it's over. It's 1030 at night at this point on a Saturday night. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to drive that 10 miles into town so that I can get something warm to drink uh, because my throat's bothering me. So I get in my car and I drive down. you got to understand there's like this this windy gravel road that you have to get on that's going to take you to the main road. So I'm in my car, I'm driving down this windy road, and at some point on this road there was a bridge about 15 feet long, only big enough for one car, and it went over a creek, okay? So as I'm driving down this road, everything's fine, except for when I come around the curb, and I have to, like, slam on my brakes on this gravel road, because there on that bridge in the middle of the night, standing in the middle of the bridge, is a massive black and white horse, okay? And he's just standing there, and he's staring straight at me. And it was something, it was totally creepy, man. And I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm staring him down, and he's staring me down. And this happened for a couple minutes until finally I, I just, I realized this dude isn't going to move. Apart from me forcing him off of this bridge, he's not going to go anywhere. And so I decide, you know, plan A is I'm just going to click my lights at him. Maybe, maybe, he'll, maybe he'll be afraid of that, right? So I, I get, you know, my, my, my flashers, and I'm like, clicker, 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 over and over again. Clicker, 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 clicker. And he's just staring me down. Clicker, 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 clicker. And finally, I guess it annoyed him because finally he turns around, and his big behind is facing me now. And I'm thinking to myself, I think I just got mooned by a horse. Like, this is, this is offensive to me. He, he's an animal, okay? And, and so I'm staring, like, like, there was a few minutes I'm staring here at his behind, and I'm thinking, I need to get something to drink. He needs to move, and this isn't happening for me. And so all of a sudden, I, I keep flashing my lights, and nothing's happening. So then I get this bright idea. I'm like, you know what? I got an idea. I'll just drive my car slowly towards him. And you know what? He ain't my horse, so if I need to, I'll give him a love tap, okay? And I will... Prove to him that I am determined to get across this bridge. So I'm slowly driving towards this horse, and I'm getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And then at one point, I even tapped my horn a little bit, and still no movement, and closer and closer. And finally, before I hit him, I go, you know what? I'm not going to hit this horse. Because one of two things will happen. One, he'll like kick through my windshield and into my chest cavity, right? And I ain't going out like that. Like I don't want somebody standing up telling that story at my funeral. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a bad way to go. So I'm not going to do that. And, or the second thing will be like I'll, I'll, I'll tap him. I know what, my luck, I'll tap him. It'll like break his leg. And in the next morning, there'll be some farmer out there going, boom, right? Like that's how it's going to end for this horse. And they're going to send him off to the dog food factory. And you know what? Probably... He belong, yeah, that's what they do with dead horses. I read it on Google. Um, and then, 
And then what's, it probably, it's probably owned by a little girl anyway, so I'm going to make her cry. It's going to be a bad day. Okay, so I decide I'm not going to do this. So at some point, this horse refusing to turn around, I discouraged, drive all the way back to my cabin, and I'm very, I, I'm very upset at this moment because I realize that I've been outsmarted by a horse with a brain about the size of a penny. Okay, and I'm just like, I'm done. And, and here's the point that I want you to get before we dive into what we're going to dive into tonight, students. Um, let, me, let me just say it like this because there's no other way to say it. Um, this horse was absolutely unintimidated by my presence. And here's what I would say to you right now. Um, there's a lot that we need to learn from that horse. There's a lot that we need to learn from that horse tonight. And, and I'll just say it this way. The, the guy that we're going to talk about tonight was just like this horse, and here's why. He was faced with overwhelming opposition and absolute, absolutely refused to back down or be intimidated, okay? So, so here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to give you guys, first of all, I'm going to totally confuse you because tonight we're going to talk about a guy named Paul and, and what happened to a guy named Paul in Acts chapter 17. But here's the thing. Before you can understand what happened to Paul in Acts chapter 17, we have to back all the way up to Acts chapter 9 so that you guys can get a sense of what happened to this dude and why what's happening in Acts chapter 17 is happening in Acts chapter 17. Does that make sense? We clear? Good. Um, and by the way, just, to, just so you know beforehand, this is going to be the most confusing sermon you've ever heard in your life, okay? So I give you permission to look at me like, huh? And drool a little bit, okay? So here's the thing you need to understand. In Acts chapter 9, listen. In Acts chapter 9, here's what we're told. This guy, Paul, his name isn't Paul. His name is Saul. And this guy, Saul, is not a Christian. Not only is he not a Christian, he hates Christians, and he hates churches, and he absolutely hates Jesus, okay? He's like the anti-Christian. You guys, you guys with me so far? Okay, so here's what happens. This guy, is he makes a living by busting up churches and throwing Christians in prison. That's how much he hates Christianity, okay? Now, as he's doing this, and I accept nine, listen. As he's doing this, he goes to his boss, and he gets permission to go to a city called Damascus with some of his boys for the purpose of going, beating up a bunch of Christians, roughing them up, and throwing them in jail. That was his mission, and he's really excited about this trip. Y'all with me so far? With me so far? Okay, don't lose, don't lose track. So, so, so he's really excited about this trip. So listen, he's on this journey to Damascus. And as he's on this journey to Damascus, here's where it gets interesting. Acts chapter 9 tells us this, students. That as he's riding down the road on his horse with his homeboy, suddenly they're surrounded by a bright light. When they're surrounded by that bright light, listen. As they're surrounded by that bright light... Jesus shows up, knocks him off the horse, roughs him up a little bit, blinds him for three days, and tells him, stop persecuting me, and now it's time for you to follow me. And the Bible tells us this, that from that experience, I mean, think about that. People ask him, man, how did you come to know Jesus? He says, Jesus beat me up. That's a pretty unbelievable story, right? From that experience, listen. From that experience, his life turns around 180 degrees and he goes from hating Christians and hating Jesus to not only loving Jesus and being a, a Christian, but he is actually literally willing to go anywhere that he has to go to tell people about Jesus Christ, even if it means they're going to try to kill him or throw him in jail. Does that make sense? Okay, now we got to fast forward all the way to Acts chapter 17 because here's what happens. In Acts chapter 17... For years, this guy Paul, his name has now changed from Saul to Paul. This guy Paul has been preaching about Jesus, and he's got a lot of people who hate him. 
And the reason that they hate him is because he will never shut up about Jesus. And even to the most offensive places that you could talk about Jesus, he goes to those places and talks about Jesus. So he's got a lot of people who hate him. Okay, does that make sense? I mean, the guy's got more enemies than Michael Vick at a dog pound, okay? Like he has a lot of people who absolutely despise him. Now listen, listen, I'm just saying, just trying to communicate, speak your language. Now, now here's what happens. Here's what happens. He's got a mob at this point in Acts chapter 17, a mob that is following him. And they're stirring up riots, and they're trying to get Paul killed. So, so, so in other words, it's a pretty serious deal when you as a Christian have men that are chasing you around, trying to kill you because you're preaching Jesus. So as this is happening, he's got two buddies, Timothy and Silas. Timothy and Silas come to him and say, Paul, we're about to get you escorted out of this city, and we're going to have some guys escort you all the way to Athens, Greece. You're going to hide out there for a little bit because we don't want you to die yet, and we're gonna, you're going to hide out there. You're going to wait on us. We'll come meet you there. So Paul has some dudes escort him to Athens. He's waiting there in Athens for his friends to meet him. Everybody with me so far? Good. Because that's where we are in Acts chapter 17. Now look at your scripture. Look at Acts chapter 17 and we're going to start in verse 16. Okay, you guys now hang with me. So in a nutshell, Paul on the run for his life, he's in Athens, Greece because his buddy sent him there. He's waiting on them to get there and here's what happens. Listen, listen. Here's what happens. Verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, his buddies, his friends, Timothy and Silas, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now listen to me. Listen. Here's what you need to understand. This guy, Paul, gets to Athens, and immediately when he shows up in Athens, Greece, um, immediately when he looks around, he gets sick to his stomach by what he sees. Now, that should force every single one of us to ask, well, dude, what did he see? Why did that mess him up so much? Why did homeboy walk into a city, and from what he saw in that city, he was so disturbed by it? And here's the answer. Here's what you need to understand, okay? Let me give you some backstory here. Um, History tells us, listen, history tells us that in Athens at this particular time, there were at least 3,000 public um, worship statues built in honor of false gods, okay? So imagine this. You're in Athens, and there's at least 3,000 statues built for false gods just surrounding the street, just lining the streets. Not only that, massive temples have been built dedicated to false gods in Athens. Matter of fact, there, there's an uh, there, uh, ancient writer named Plutonius who, who said this. He said it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man. Okay, So the point is, there were idols everywhere. There were these statues dedicated to false gods that people in Athens would worship. Okay, Now, now here's what you need to understand about this place. Um, the Greeks... Basically, I'll say this. The Greeks had one of the most confusing, weird, trippy religious systems in all of Earth's history. Okay? Matter of fact, anybody ever studied Greek mythology? Like you've read Greek mythology in high school. Usually it's assigned reading for a lot of high school students. Here's the thing then. Here's the thing. You understand like I do that Greek mythology, studying Greek mythology is like studying a redneck's family tree. And what I mean by that is, is the names are all hard to pronounce, and whenever you're finished, you're just really disturbed, okay? Because here's, here's the reason. I'm, I'm serious. Here's the reason. Let me, let me give you an example, okay? Let me give you an example of this. Um, 
first of all, the Greeks, they didn't just believe in God. They believed in many gods and goddesses, okay? So they didn't just have a belief in God. They believed in, like, tons of different gods and tons of different goddesses. And here's how this worked for them. Here's what was interesting. They didn't believe that their gods created the universe. They believed that the universe created the gods. So their thought was this. You had the heavens and the earth, and they kind of got together and conceived children. And their children were who we call the Titans, okay? And so you had the Titans, and then the Titans all had kids, and their kids were the gods. Okay, you confused yet? Because I am, right? Now, now here's how this worked. Um, You had the lead Titan. Listen. I'm going to show you how confusing this is. You had the lead titan whose name was Cronus. He was in charge. Um, but the problem, Cronus had a problem when you read Greek mythology. Cronus' problem was this. He really enjoyed eating his own children. Right? Yeah. And we all know it's, it's, uh, it's a bad day when your dad eats you. Okay? So, so here's what happens. Cronus is eating his own children. Listen. Cronus is eating his own children, so his son Zeus doesn't like that. So Zeus, maybe you've heard of him, rebels against his dad, takes over his authority, dethrones him, and then here's what happens. Listen, then the gods are now in control, and the gods have more power than the Titans. You guys with me so far? Because it's going to get even more confusing, okay? So here's what happens. The 12 most important gods were, were what we call Olympians, and the reason we call them Olympians is because supposedly they lived on Olympus, and nobody really knows what Olympus was, but they lived there. You confused yet? Because I am. As you can tell, this religion makes a lot more sense after you spend about an hour sniffing permanent markers, okay? So, so here's the thing. Listen, here's what happens. Some of the examples of gods that would have been worshipped in Athens at this point, okay? Here's some of the examples. First of all, you had Zeus. He would have been worshipped. Zeus was like the uh, Zeus was the god of the sky. Okay, he was the one who carried around in the pictures carries around the thunderbolt, right? And then you have the god of the underworld, who's Hades. And then you have the god of the sea, who's Poseidon. And here's the thing about Poseidon and Hades and Zeus: they're all brothers. Now listen. Then you have a goddess named Hera, and Hera was Zeus's wife and his sister. Nasty. Nasty. That's what I told you. It's like a redneck family reunion, man. Right? Roll Tide. Okay? Now, here's, here's what happens. What? I'm just saying. I mean, if... Who knows? We don't have proof of that. Um, and then you have... Listen. Then you have... Listen up. Then you have Athena. Now, some of you maybe have heard of Athena. Athena was actually Zeus's daughter, but here's the interesting thing about Athena. Athena was Zeus's daughter, but she didn't have a mom. And you're like, well, how did she come to be? Well, here's what Greek mythology teaches us is that um, Athena sprang out of Zeus's head one day. Next, you had Apollo. Listen, listen, Apollo was the god of truth. And then you had, listen, then you had a lady, uh, a goddess named Artemis. Artemis was what they called the lady of the wild things, right? And the reason they called her the lady of the wild things is because she was like a female hunter goddess. So she's like the Sarah Palin of the gods, right? And then you move on and you have... You have Aphrodite. Maybe you've heard of Aphrodite. She was the goddess of love and beauty. And in case you didn't know, she wasn't born. She sprang from the foam in the sea. 
A lot of sprouting about going on here, right? And then you have Hermes. Hermes is the god of commerce and money. He's like the Donald Trump of the gods. And then you have Ares. Ares is the war god. This was the very masculine, the very strong god, the one who was a good fighter. So he would have been a lot like me. And then you move on. I'll hurt you. And then you move on. Listen. Do you even have, let me show you how ridiculous this is. I'm just proving a point here. You're like, why is this? Well, we're proving a point. You even move on and you have a goddess named Iris who her job was she was the goddess of the rainbow. Somebody got a lame job, okay? No, no, here's the point. Listen. Here's the point. Y'all listen. Shh. Listen. And then you go on and on and on and on and on and on. And here's the point. Here's what I want to try to prove to you guys, okay? These were some of the most religious people who have ever lived on planet Earth. These people, here, here's what happened. They would constantly build more temples and build more idols and more statues and more altars and offer more sacrifices, hoping that somehow they would satisfy their gods and their gods would not be mad at them. And they were so serious about this that they even built altars and idols that were dedicated to what they called unknown gods because they were like, man, what if a god shows up one day and he's like, why weren't you worshiping? me we can just point and go dude that's you and he's like oh, okay good job right so they even had altars dedicated to unknown gods this is how religious these people are and this is listen this is the environment that the apostle paul walks into in athens and what i want you to see here is this i want you to notice his response I want you to notice as he goes into this city, this foreign city, and he sees this stuff, I want you to see his response because the Bible says this. His response was not that he was impressed. Okay, so, so the Apostle Paul, listen, the Apostle Paul didn't walk in and go, wow, look at these buildings and statues. They're so artistic. Oh, bravo. Bravo. Take a picture. Put it on my Facebook page, right? But he wasn't impressed. Listen, he was not impressed. You know what else? The, the Apostle Paul, he, he, wasn't, um, he wasn't accepting or tolerant either. You don't find the Apostle Paul looking around going, well, you know what? At least they believe in something, and who am I to say anything about what they believe as long as they sincerely believe it, and I believe what I believe, and who am I to tell them what I believe and expect them to believe what I believe because they believe what they believe, and as long as they sincerely believe in the rainbow goddess, I'm good. I'm good. Just sincerely believe it, and you're good. And listen, he wasn't intimidated either. Shh, listen. He didn't go into that city and look around and in intimidation go, I, I, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to start. And I'm honestly afraid to say anything. But the Bible says this. Listen. The Bible says this in verse 16. That he walked into that city and he looked around. And the verse says this. That he was greatly distressed. And here's what's interesting, students. That word literally means he was provoked. Okay? Now, now, when you say that word provoked, I mean, most of us know what that word provoked means. That word provoked means that you're irritated to the point where you have to do something, right? I mean, you're, how, how many of y'all ever been like that? You've been irritated to the point where you have to do something. Like, like, I was like that this week. Here's the thing. I'll just be transparent with you, be honest with you. This past week, um, I, I'd gone to the movies with my wife, and we're sitting there, and the movie is, is, is starting, and as the movie is starting... Um, there's, there's some ladies sitting behind us, and one of their phones, of course, begins to ring, right? 
because it's so difficult to put it on silent before the movie starts. And so her phone begins to ring, and she has some cheesy Toby Keith ring. How do you like me now? Right? Like ringtone on her deal. And it's playing and playing and playing. And finally, finally she decides to answer it. And she picks up the phone, and she begins to, of course, have a conversation in the theater while we're sitting there. And I'm not kidding you. I'm not exaggerating. You can ask my wife. The conversation went like this. Hello? I'm at the theater with Darlene getting ready to watch the picture show. What you doing? Well, I, I, I let him out to poop before I left the house. I don't know Eugene. I let him out. I already fed him too. I told you last week that Larry was going to be working overtime today. And it went on and on and on. And I'm telling you, like as I'm sitting there, I honestly did not think I'd be here preaching this week. Because I thought I'd be arrested because I would stand up, dump my buttery popcorn on her head and throw her phone in my Coca-Cola. Like that's how provoked and irritated I felt. Because I'm sitting there, listen. I'm sitting there in the theater and I'm thinking to myself, I did not come here to hear about your dog's digestive tract or Larry's overtime. I came here to watch a movie. Now, now, now here's why I tell you that story. That feeling of irritation is similar to what the, the Apostle Paul is experiencing here. He goes into that city and his response is he feels irritated to the point where he has to do something. So let's look at what he does. Look at verse 17. Don't miss this, students. Look. Look at verse 17. It says, so he reasoned. Everybody say reasoned. One more time, say reasoned. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. So in other words, translation, he's telling them, listen, he's telling them about Jesus. Now, now go on, look at verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, we're getting into world history stuff, some of you guys have learned about before. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching. Everybody say preaching. preaching. One more time, say preaching. Because I don't want there to be any confusion about what Paul was doing here, okay? They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They all look at me. Here's what happens. Listen. Paul goes into this city, and instead of being scared or intimidated or impressed or, or accepting, Paul does basic math here, okay? And here's his basic math, and you don't need to miss this. Listen, students, because some of you are missing it. Let's be honest. Some of you are missing this equation completely, Okay? The basic math that Paul does here is this. Listen, it, it's this. Um, these people in this place do not know Jesus. Conclusion. Therefore, I will tell them about Jesus. Okay, so, so let me do that again. These people in this place right here do not know Jesus. Don't have a relationship with Jesus. Therefore, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Now, our arguments will be this. But Paul, you're only one guy. You're only one guy. And his, his, his response will be, but they don't know Jesus. But Paul, there's nobody with you on your team. But they don't know Jesus. And so Paul's response is to tell them about Jesus. And look at what happens. Because here's what we do. Here's what we do. We go, well, man, yeah, but, you know, when we do that, I mean, people come out of the woodworks. And we get opposition. And people try to, try to get up in our face and disagree with us. Y'all listen. Listen to me. That's exactly what happened to this guy. 
Listen, the Bible tells us he's in this city preaching about Jesus, telling them about Jesus, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And as he's there doing that, what happens is this. He's got philosophers who the Bible call Epicureans and Stoics who are arguing with him. Let me give you a little history lesson. The Epicureans were guys who their philosophy was this. They said this. uh, They said, you know what? Life is all about pleasure. Life is all about partying. Life's all about a good time. They even had a phrase that they coined that said, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die, right? And so that was kind of their coin phrase. And so they believed, just have a good time, right? The Stoics believed something different. The Stoic philosophers came in and they said, you know what? Life is all about you being self-sufficient. Life is all about you being independent. Life is all about you taking care of yourself. You don't need any gods and you don't need anybody else to help you. As a matter of fact, if you ever get to the point where you cannot take care of yourself, you need to commit suicide. This is what they taught in their philosophy. So you've got the Epicureans who are mad at Paul. Listen. You've got the Stoics who are mad at Paul. And then you've got all the really religious people living in Athens who are worshiping the rainbow goddess and the chick that jumped out of Zeus's head, right? So you have all of these people in Paul's face arguing with him. And then listen, students, here's what happens. And then the apostle Paul looks at all three of these groups, listen, and he says this. What every single one of you, what all three of you groups have in common is this. Every single last one of you need Jesus. And he's not afraid, and he's not ashamed, and he's not intimidated. And then look at what the Bible tells us about this. Look at verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you were presenting? You are bringing some, what's it say? Strange ideas to your ears, and we want to know what they mean, which has always been really funny to me because they just said, hey, what you're saying is strange, and they believe this woman jumped out of Zeus's head, okay? So, I mean, I'm not saying that Christianity isn't strange sometimes, but kind of the pot calling the kettle black, right? Verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Check this out. Here it is. The Apostle Paul gets an audience. He's been preaching Jesus, and because he's obedient, God opens a door, and God gives him an audience. So now he finds himself at what the Bible calls the Oropagus. Now, here's what the Oropagus was. The Oropagus was the place in Athens where all the philosophers, all the leading, really, really smart philosophers would go to debate and to exchange their new ideas. It was kind of like the first century Facebook page, honestly. And they would go there and exchange ideas and talk about the newest ideas and the newest thoughts. And as he's there, look at what the Bible says happens. Verse 22. Paul then, guys, this is so important. This is huge. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, students, look at me. Listen. Notice that Paul didn't start off by saying, Men of Athens, you're all going to hell. Have fun in hell while you're burning in the flames with the rainbow God. Have fun. You pagan freaks. He didn't start that way. Listen. He didn't start that way. Students, I'm not just being funny. I want you to notice that. That wasn't his, that wasn't his um, strategy. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Listen. Don't get me wrong. Eventually, he's going to talk about it. Like, he doesn't hide from it. and He's not ashamed of it. Eventually, he's going to talk about the judgment. That's just not where he starts. And then look at what he says. Verse 23. 
For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. To, to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. So here's what Paul said. I was walking around your city and I was taking in all of your idols and looking at all the different gods that you worship. And I even found one down there on the corner that said to an unknown God. And here's what that let Paul know. That let Paul know this. That these people with all their gods and all their goddesses and all their sacrifices and all their temples and all their idols still knew inside of themselves that they didn't have all their bases covered and that something was missing and there was still something about God with as much as they thought that they did know there was something about God that they didn't know and the apostle Paul goes I saw that I saw I see that you still believe that there's an unknown God somewhere that you don't have all the bases covered so I'm about to share with you the missing piece and then look at what Paul says because this is unbelievable in verse 24 the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. Now, students, don't miss this. Listen. Remember, these people are Greeks. They don't even believe that God created the world. They believe that the universe created the gods. And so the very first thing the Apostle Paul does is go, hey, hey, bro, remember, that's what you believe? Yeah, you're wrong. You're wrong. There is one God. There's one God, and that one God made everything. And then Paul goes on, verse 25. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So translation, hey, I see the temples you're building. I see the statues you're building. I see the altars you're building. But you need to understand, God isn't impressed. He's not impressed. God's not somehow in heaven looking down going, oh boy, they're talented. That is awesome. God, he's not impressed. God doesn't need us. We need God. You don't give things to God. He gives everything to us. And then he goes on, verse 26. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Now that may not seem very important to you, but it's unbelievably important to these people. Here's why. What you may not know about the Greeks is that they were pretty racist. The Greek people were pretty racist in that they believed that their race was superior and they actually believed that they were kind of unique from all the other races because they believed they weren't related to any other race on the earth. Matter of fact, one of their trippy beliefs was this. They believed that they actually sprang up from the dirt. They believed that they actually were created by the dirt. Right there in their own land. And the Apostle Paul just said, no, no, no. And by the way, you're related to everybody else on this planet. You're just like everybody else. You have the same basic needs as everybody else. Because from one man, God created all the nations of the earth. So every single one of us are related in Adam. So whoever's sitting next to you, that's your cousin. What's up? Then he goes on. Verse 27. She's a girlfriend too. That's weird. Verse 27. <laughs> God did this. God did this. So that men would seek him 
and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not very far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. Now, here's what's brilliant about this. Um, the Greeks didn't believe that God cared about the details of our lives. They didn't believe that gods cared at all about the details of life. Matter of fact, they believed that gods kind of, you know, kind of were off doing their own thing, and they were left to figure life out on their own. And the Apostle Paul just says, no, not only does God, not only is there one God, and he's creator of all, and you're all related to everybody because he created you. Um, but guess what else? God, listen, God cares about the details of every single one of your lives. Like, like you don't understand, like you don't, right now you probably don't even comprehend how much God cares about the details of your life. And so your, your, your family's a mess. God, God cares. Someone close to you is sick. God cares. Right? You're struggling at school. God cares deeply care. We have a God who in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, he's deeply involved and he deeply cares about the details of your life. And then students don't miss this because what we're about to read here, I mean, it's huge. It's huge. And this would have landed on these people like a ton of bricks. Verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring... We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to what? What's it say? What, one more time? Repent. One more time? Repent. repent. Okay. Now he commands all people everywhere to repent. In other words, be brokenhearted about your sin and turn around, turn the other direction. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, students, look at me. Because let me explain to you what Paul just said. Paul just looked at these people and said this, you're an extremely religious people. Matter of fact, these people were probably more religious than most of the people Paul had ever met in his life. Look at his life, which is saying a lot. And Paul just looked at these people and he said, you're deeply religious. But I'm going to tell you right now, you're not worshiping the one true God. And so God now is telling you, he's commanding you to repent, to turn around and to turn towards Jesus. Because what he just said in that last verse there is there will come a day when God will judge every single one of us. And when he judges you, and when he judges me, students, here's what Paul just said. He's going to judge us by the man whom he has appointed, by the one he rose from the dead, which means this. Listen, on the day of judgment, we're going to be judged by one question. One question is going to matter on that day. And the question is this, according to Paul. The question is, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? Not what did you do with Zeus, or what did you do with the rainbow goddess, or what did you do with Muhammad, or what did you do with Buddha, or what did you do with Scientology, or what did you do about being a good person, or what did you do about going to church, not any of that. What did you do with Jesus? And according to Paul, every single one of us one day is going to have to answer that question. In the book of Hebrews, it says this, students. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed unto a man once to die, and then comes the judgment. Which you can't get any clearer about the fact that we only have one shot at this deal. I don't care what any religion says, you're not going to come back as a butterfly, or a caterpillar, or a chihuahua. It's not going to happen. Listen, you get 
and I get one shot. And one day, every single one of us is going to die. And on that day, we will face this question. What did you do with Jesus? And some of you, listen. Some of you have done nothing with Jesus. And here's what I mean. You've heard about him. You've listened. You've heard stories about him. You've maybe even heard people, your friends talk about him. You've maybe even seen your friends decide to follow him. But you personally have decided not to do anything with Jesus. And I need you to know and understand this. If you have chosen not to do anything with Jesus, you have chosen to do something with Jesus. And that something is you've chosen to reject him. And according to God's word, only those who at some point in their life become worshipers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, recognize the fact that you cannot save yourself and you can't be good enough for God, good enough to get to heaven, but only through what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you can you be saved. And only those people who, who, whose heart is broken over their sin and who cry out for Jesus to come into their life and to save them and to be their deliverer and their savior, only those people in the end will be saved. And according to the Bible, I'm just a newspaper boy, I'm just a delivery man, don't beat up the delivery man, take it up with the editor, God wrote it, according to the Bible, those who choose to reject, those who choose to walk away, those who choose to do nothing with Jesus and to not respond and to not surrender will spend eternity in hell. According to this book, I'm going to tell you something. This is the reason the Apostle Paul walked into Athens. And when he saw all the idols, his heart broke. And he was destroyed. And he had to say something. Because he doesn't rejoice over the fact that people can live their whole lives and die apart from a relationship with Jesus and spend eternity apart from him. Those of you in this room tonight, you say, I don't know that I have a relationship with God. I'm not sure that I have the promise and the guarantee of heaven when I die. Just like God did to these people 2,000 years ago, he is calling you tonight to respond to Jesus and to receive Jesus and to surrender to Jesus. Let's pray. we get ready to pray I, here's what I feel like we need to do I know probably in a room this big that there's people who you don't know where you stand with God you don't know that you're saved you don't know that you have the promise of heaven when you die and you got to understand something about me I I don't say that to scare anybody in this room. Last time I checked, every single one of us are, are going to die. The mortality rate of human beings is 100%. So it, like it, you know, it happens. 
And so the question is, one moment after you die, when you face that question, what did you do with Jesus, what will the answer be to that question? And so students, those of you in here who'd be honest enough to say, I don't know where I stand with God, and I don't know that I have the promise of heaven, and I don't know that I'm saved, and I don't know that I'm forgiven, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then some of you would just be honest enough to say, I know that I don't. I know if I died right now, I wouldn't go to heaven. Right? I'm going to ask this. Anybody in here that's not sure about that and who would be honest about it right now, I'm going to ask you to do something that requires little energy whatsoever. With everybody else's eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm going to ask you alone just to look at me. Just to look at me. I see you. I'm going to ask you to keep. I see you. I see all y'all. I see all of you. I see all of you. Awesome. Those of you looking at me, I want to explain something in love, okay? Explain something in love. There is a God, and he loves you. He loves you. And that may be hard for some of you to believe, depending on what you've gone through. I understand that. I understand. And we've all gone through things in our lives where it's been difficult for us to believe that God loves us. But, but here's what the Bible says. So you look at me, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God demonstrates his love. It says God demonstrates his love. So he doesn't just say that he loves you. He's demonstrated it. And here's what it says in that verse. It said God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And so what that means is this. The proof that God loves you is that while we were sinners and there's no way that we could be good enough for God on our own and we can make it to heaven on our own, the proof that God loves us is this, that God sent his only son, Jesus, to this earth to live the perfect life for you, to die on a cross for you. And after that, three days later, he rose from the grave, proving to human history he is the son of God. And Jesus did all of that so that we, if we place our faith and trust in him, we would be saved. Because there's nothing we can do that's good enough for God on our own to get to heaven. It's only through what Jesus did. That's it. So, so here's what I'm saying to you. God loves you, and God is a God not only of love, but of forgiveness. Forgiveness. And the Bible says that those of us who place our faith in Jesus, we turn from our sin and we cry out to him to be our savior. At that moment, we're washed whiter than snow. At that moment, we become children of God, the Bible says. And so those of you looking at me right now, there's a reason you're looking at me, and the reason you're looking at me is because in your heart, you don't know that you have a relationship with God, and you don't know that you have the promise of heaven, and so I'm just going to ask you this question. Those of you that are honest enough to look at me right now, I'm just going to ask you this question, and you can, you can honestly answer this question too, with either a nod of your head or shake your head. But those of you looking at me right now, I'm going to ask you this simple question. Tonight, do you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ by trusting him and asking him to be your savior? Is that what you want? Is that what y'all want over here? Yeah? Over here, is that what y'all want? Back there? Is that what you want? Is that what you want? And the Bible says, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it says in that same chapter, in Romans chapter 10, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's just about you trusting that Jesus is who he says he is, and he's really done what he says he has done. And if you believe that, you want to turn to him tonight, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. This prayer is not magic. It's just what you already believe in your heart by going, yeah, it's what I want. And just right there where you are, just silently, those students looking at me, I'm going to invite you to say this to the Lord. Just say this to him. Say, dear God, I'm a sinner. I confess that to you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he lived for me. Thank you that he died for me on the cross. Thank you that he rose again from the grave. Please come into my life, Jesus. Please forgive me of my sins. And I turn away from my sinful life. I want to follow you. Help me to grow in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Students, if you prayed that prayer, only you prayed that prayer, would you look at me one more time? You say, yeah, I prayed it. I prayed it. I meant it. I prayed it. Okay? Let me... Let me just share something with you. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this. And and I'm just, my heart as a high school pastor, just so you know, is that you would be a people, we would be a people, collectively, all of us, who more than anything else desire to obey Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this. Students, look at me. He goes, stand for me before men. Stand for me before men. But there's no reason to be ashamed of a king who loved us that much and would die for us and give his life for us that we've chosen to follow in faith because there's no greater love than his. And so students, you just prayed that prayer and you meant it and you said, yeah, dude, I meant it. I'm gonna invite you. I'm not gonna ask you. I'm not gonna beg you. I'm gonna invite you as newborn children of God, saved by grace, relationship with Jesus, bound for heaven by your faith in Christ. I'm gonna invite you When I count to three, I'm going to give you an opportunity to obey scripture and to stand to your feet, just as Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 told us. He said, stand for me before men. So one, two, three. Those of you who prayed and received Christ, awesome. Amen. Amen. That's it, dude. That's it. That's it. That's it, man. Okay. All right. It's awesome awesome okay but two things two things um those of you standing here's what's up um I, I don't normally do this I'm not trying to bribe people to get saved around here but I'm I'm so stinking happy right now I'm ready to spend money so every single one of you are going to get some Starbucks tonight um just for just a celebration just kind of a party just spontaneous and stuff so what we're going to ask you to do those of you who are standing said yeah I just did that um I'm going to ask you right now if you'd go back this back door right here, and we're going to take you over here, and uh, I'm going to meet up with you guys, and we're going to celebrate what you just did, because it's awesome, and don't worry, uh, your friend, um, you're not going to lose them and not see them again tonight, so I'm just going to invite you guys, just those of you, why y'all, y'all give it up for them one more time, they're going to go out that door, you guys move on back there, <clears throat> right on, sweet, and as there, and and if you came, by the way, if you came with a friend and you're kind of freaked out, you can go with your friend. Your friend can come with you, so that's allowed. Um, some of you are like, no, they're going to take my money. 
Um, this is awesome. This is awesome. This is why we do it. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to get the rest of you guys out of here to your small groups as these make their way back. This is awesome. This is awesome. Is this awesome? It's awesome. That's it, dude. Okay, let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Band, thanks for being flexible tonight. You guys rock, okay? Lord Jesus, Jesus, help us to never, ever, 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 ever get numb to this. This is it. Your word tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, that is why you came. And so for these people who just responded, Lord, would we surround them with love and support those of us who were their friends, maybe those of us who brought them. I pray that tonight we'd, we'd celebrate, we'd hug them, we'd love on them, we'd buy them gifts. Lord, do whatever we got to do to let them know we are so happy for you and humbled by what God's doing in your life. Lord, thank you for this talk. I pray as we go to small groups and talk about what it means to be people who are unashamed to tell others about you, that you do some incredible things as we talk and discuss these things. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm gonna ask